From the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors, you're listening to Tenants in Common, a podcast sharing stories, motivation, and insight into the real estate industry. Today, we are joined by one of our fellow brokers, Chris Garrett. Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let us let everyone know where you're where you're located at, where you're from, all that fun stuff. Chris Garrett, I'm the principal broker of Weikert Realtors, the Andrews Group, and Murfreesboro, and uh, co-owner of, we have three offices. Um, this year, celebrating 18 years, I, I should be too young for that, but I was just thinking about that, I was like, man, 18 years uh, since I started real estate. Started in 05, and then we know what happened in 06, 07, 08, uh, so been through some some interesting markets uh, but, but I've loved every bit of the journey. I've loved my time with, uh, you know, on the board and, and, and serving at Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors, and I'm glad to, that you're doing it. Uh, we're in great hands, and uh, it's, uh, it's been a crazy year, but that's kind of my, my short story. Well, I, I appreciate that compliment, and uh, this was easy uh, when we came up with the idea of, of who would be good to come in and, and chat with you. You and I have known each other now, I think, pretty much the whole eight years I've been in Middle Tennessee, yeah. uh, you were the one who brought me into uh, the association and gave me my first uh, chair position when you, it was your presidential year. So uh, we've had a relationship, and, and that's why I thought this would be uh, a fun conversation. Yeah. And so just to let everyone know, we have no agenda today. Uh, you're going to kind of get to see a peek behind the curtain of what and where our conversations go. There's no uh, rhyme or reason to it, but we're just going to have some fun and try to talk about some of the stuff that is... Uh, affecting brokers and realtors and in, in our industry and, and in this time. So yeah. uh, I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't start off with what we were kind of talking about right beforehand, which is this is Realtor Safety Month. And you are, at least in our area, the only instructor that I really know about that teaches the NAR Realtor Safety Program. So tell everybody a little bit about that. Share some of that information because that is important you know, to our group and our industry. Yeah, well, 2015, Chris Polycron, NAR president, uh, he decided that after an agent was killed, Beverly Carter was killed in Arkansas showing a house um, in January. He said, we're going to put together a course, and by mid-year, we're going to have a safety course that we can roll out to all of our associations where this doesn't happen again. Um, and I got a call in late January. Um, Brian Copeland had given NAR my name, said I would be a good candidate. I had a background in law enforcement. And that, along with, you know, being in real estate for several years, he thought I'd be a good candidate to be on, on the subject matter expert team. So got to go with about six agents, uh, a course writer, and an attorney. And we sat in Chicago in January for about seven hours <laughs> and and wrote what became, it was a cool experience. I'd never had, you know, an opportunity to be in with an NAR course writer and see how they operate and uh, uh, got to really just basically put all our thoughts down on paper. Um, and then several months later, we had the safety course. Um, did not, I was not an instructor at the time at all, right? So I always loved to talk, but never had really publicly been an instructor. Uh, I got a call from Tennessee Realtors. They noticed when they were going through the material, they opened up the page and saw me as a subject matter expert. <laughs> so I get a call from Steve McDonald, and Steve's like, hey, I see that you're in this instruction manual. We need you to teach the class. 
to the Tennessee Realtors. And I'm like, you got to be joking. I was like, man, I've never even spoken in front of a group like teaching this. You know, we did it you know, around a table, right? So I called Candy up. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told oh, this story. Yeah. So I called Candy up. And I was like, look, they want me to teach us at the conference, like in front of everybody. And I've never, you know, I've never taught anything. I said, can you set up a safety course at, you know, at the, the association and let me like, make a dry run at it <laughs> to see if I'm like going to fall on my face? Because if I did really bad, I was just going to tell them, hey, I'm out. I'm not going to do this. So that was my so my first uh, time teaching it was at, at Middle Tennessee. So I've been teaching it now since 2015. Um, uh, this this year, you know, uh, September is always a busy month. I, I've been here. I've taught it here. It's the three-hour course, uh, Greater Nashville, Greater Chattanooga, and then I'll be at Williamson County at the end of the month. Um, after our conference. So um, I, I think it's really a great course just to show someone that's not just how you defend yourself like physically, you know, you don't kick somebody in the shin or whatever, but it's really how do you set up your business. And that's what we really start out with. And we talk about the defense, but really it's how can you operate a business where you're a professional? Like, go figure, right? You would actually have hours, you have a structure in the way you intake a client. That's similar every time you don't run out and show a house so that's really the fun part about just the light bulb going off with a lot of agents that just don't realize hey how dangerous the situations we can get into are yeah it's kind of uh it's kind of interesting i said it on your course uh last year at the tennessee realtors conference because i had never heard you teach it and yeah. you know wanted to come and support you as well had a great turnout for it but it is amazing to me that like most things it's really the common sense stuff that has to be taught. And yeah. you wouldn't expect that to be the case, but it is. Yeah. You know, we, I think we rely so much on how we do things in, in general society. And 99.99% of the time, that would probably be fine. Yeah. But because, unfortunately, sometimes you are working with a complete stranger or someone you've maybe only met one or two times there are precautions that you should take and do. And, and when you really think about them, you're like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. But you didn't necessarily think about it no. before being told and the or problem, before getting into a circumstance. Yeah. And the problem is there's no rules. Like yeah. you don't know, like just because you meet a client for the first time, we had an instance where uh, a, a new agent, male agent had met a client, had showed them houses. The client calls them back, says, Hey, you know, I think I decided I'm going to put my house on the market you know, long story short, he goes to list the house, ends up getting attacked and raped by the male client in the client's home, right? So who would think that would ever be even a possibility, right? You're going to bring somebody into your own home and, and, and then the and commit the crime. So so and there's guys, really... on top of it, guys have this persona that, oh, we're, we're immune to... The violence. I don't even have a quarter. A quarter of my participation is not even guys. Like maybe I'll have one guy in the class, yeah, right? Because we think we're immune to the violence and we're not. We're not. Like not at all. And what happens, the problem is, is most of those actually go unreported. Mm -hmm. And actually this agent did not report it for a month or two and finally came to the AE, uh, talked to them about it, and then they got the authorities involved. And the guy was arrested. But it was his, in his house. It wasn't even a, you know, it wasn't even another house. So it's, it's. It really comes down to one thing. It's awareness. And I think the same thing that we can use the safety course in showing houses, same, the same things we use going to the mall. 
going to the grocery store, right? Just being aware, paying attention to your surroundings. And that's, that's really what it comes down to is just being a little bit more aware. We get so focused, you know, we walk around with our phone in our hand all the time with our nose yep. buried in it. Tech syndrome. And, yeah, we're not, and we're not paying attention to what's going on around us and simply just paying attention. You know, uh, just recently in, in Memphis, you know, had the runner mm-hmm. just, you know, be killed. We, we should be able to go out and run. Have a jog, yeah. And, and have a jog in the morning. You know, I work out early in the morning. Yep. I should be able to go and walk and be safe, right? Um, but, you know, being aware and, and watching your surroundings. Is there cars there that shouldn't be there? Is there somebody pulling up behind you? And just having that second that you may have an opportunity to get away, right? And if you're not paying attention, and all of a sudden they're on you, you know? Well, and, and the other thing that's kind of funny to me is is I think sometimes we get caught up in the Hollywood of all of the things, even in real estate stuff. But but like when we, we start talking about, you know, potential dangers or violent situations, you worked in law enforcement. I worked in medical in the emergency room, saw two ends of, you know, the same coin a lot of times. It was one of those things where most of the time, especially people who were doing physical violence to somebody else, they're not a mastermind. They're not coming up with these genius plots and plans. It's it's an opportunity that they spring on out of emotion and do something really stupid. And I think sometimes we get this false sense of security because you're like, oh, there's no way they could have plotted something, like you said, in their own personal home that they would do something this outrageous and this stupid. But they will. And they're not masterminds. Very few of them are. Yeah, and I think people, a lot of people walk around, especially we're in the South, a lot of people carry guns. And I'll ask every time I teach a class, how many of you guys are armed? All these hands go up. Then I'll ask the question, like, how many of you guys train every month? No hands go up, right? So now these people are walking around with guns. They don't know how to use them, right? They, they've not trained with them. If they were to get a jam, they wouldn't know how to clear it. They don't know how to use the weapon. And then when you're attacked... You know, we, we talk about this a lot. People don't walk up with a flag, like, down the road. Like, hey, I'm going to be attacking you, so go ahead and get ready, right? It happens on the spur of the moment. And these people have no self-defense skills. They've not taken any type of training. So their ability to react with muscle memory is almost impossible because they, they just freeze. Or they're like, you know, I'll ask them a lot. I'll say, hey, how many of you guys are taking a self-defense course? Like, oh, these hands go, wow, I took a self It's like, when would you take it? Lady yesterday, she was like 10 years ago. <laughs> And I was like, you know, if I tagged her right now, she'd be like, hold up. Let me remember what I, what I learned 10 years ago, you know. So it has to be muscle memory. Um, so we really encourage people to join some type of safety defense class. So, you, you know, jiu-jitsu, uh, karate, something where you have this muscle memory built up where you can react. And sometimes you just can't. I mean, people, they, it, it comes in the spur of the moment. People, they think they have more time than they really do. And, and and they don't, you know, and, and it's just being prepared. Can you guard against everything? No, you can't. No. You know. And what's the old saying too? Is it was it, was it Tyson or whoever it was you say everyone's got a plan until they get punched <laughs> in the mouth. Yeah. And and it, it's silly and we'll laugh at it now, but it's so true. Like you said, even people who are trained, you know, you have to train yourself to be quick on that reaction too, because getting hit or getting blindsided, yeah. in the best case scenario, you'll still be awake and have the potential to defend yourself. In the worst case scenario, you know You're what's crazy out. is every time I teach the class, there's always a hand that goes up and goes, I have a story. I have a story. And I tell, you know, I talk about little things, and it's always good to have a story that goes along with something. I talk about, hey, guys, when you go out to your car, make sure your car is set on, when you unlock it, that it only unlocks the driver's side. It doesn't unlock all the doors. And one of the guys raises his hand. He goes, man, I was in Michigan, and I go to get in my car. Fortunately, my car had the feature where only the 
the driver's door unlocked. And he said, as soon as I go to get in my car, there's a guy who looks kind of homeless standing at my car, hand on my door handle, saying, hey, you're going to take me to here. And we talk about that. How do you know you're starting to get a threat if somebody starts giving you orders, right? Mm-hmm. They're not asking you, hey, man, would you take me over it's here? It's a demand now. It's you're going to take me over here. Well, that's You're kind of being accosted at that point. Mm-hmm. But he was able to get in his car, close the door, and take off and, and obviously not take the guy anywhere, right? And he goes, he said, the guy was convincing. I thought we were actually going to go somewhere, you know? But just something that simple of what if his door had not been locked? And now the guy's in his car. Now what he's got to do? He's going to try to run. Now the guy's inside of his car. You know, a lot of times people keep their guns in their car. I, a lot of the weapons that get used on people are left in their vehicle. Mm-hmm. They just happened in Nashville recently where a man attacked a contractor, another agent. The gun he used was out of the guy's truck. Yeah. So It's easy access. It's, it, it is often a crime of opportunity. Yeah. And so when the opportunity is provided and emotions are running high, People will take advantage of that kind of thing. Well, and then I think the, to cap to cap it off is one of the things we start to realize is when you try to build a safe business, you actually build a really professional business and you 100%. make more money. So if someone calls me up and says, "Hey, I'm over at this house. Come over, and show it to me," you know, and I ask them all the time, "Why? Why would you go do it?" Because you pr- you know, even you know, you're probably not going to sell them that house. You don't have any clue, right? Absolutely not. And it's always the same answer because I want to go over there and meet them and turn them into a buyer. That's my goal, right? So I said, just a simple change will probably save your life and save you a lot of headache. Even if it's not your life, it'll save you a lot of trouble. Just say, hey, I'd love to come and show it to you. Here's what I want to do first. I need to meet you in the office. You know, I want to go through a few things with you before we go and see the house so you're prepared to buy, and then we know we're on the same page. Now, that's when I get them pre-qualified. That's when I know who they are. I'm going to get a copy of their driver's license, right? I've gotten them in a public place. I need to know who am I dealing with. Because if somebody's trying to lure you into a house to hurt you, they ain't going to come meet you at the office first and give you their driver's license and get pre-qualified. I mean, serial killers aren't in the business of getting pre-qualified, right? So, Well, you bring up a good point, though. And that's kind of one of the things that, and I knew we would get into it some, is you know this idea of how we do business, how we should do business in all aspects, whether you're... Uh, you know, brand new agent, experienced agent, team leader, broker, or owner. You know, it doesn't matter. I think, I think they all have a place. And one of the things that can be frustrating about real estate, especially to people who are highly professional, is most of the things we do and pretty much all of the things that we do that are bad, yeah. we do because of our own reactions. Sure. We've put them in place. Yeah. The truth is most of the things people don't like about being a real estate agent was developed by habits of real estate agents. Very yeah. bad habits. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we've done it to habit. ourselves. The idea of snapping and running to somebody. Like you said, not only is that not the way any professional real estate agent or realtor that I know operates, it is a way for you to also get hurt or put yourself into a very sketchy right. situation. One of the first things I teach any new agent is you meet in the office. You do buyer's orientation. If you're going to go do a listing presentation, why wouldn't you do a buyer's presentation as well? 100%. And another thing that happens is you start to set the expectations. If you think about everything that goes wrong in a transaction, usually the problem is not even the thing that went wrong. It's no. the expectation that the buyer had versus the expectation that the agent had. You didn't were, set a realistic expectation. You didn't expectation. set the expectation. And I think, you know, one of the things, and you said it, uh, when I hear an agent say, I work 24-7, I'm open all the time. I'm not open all the time. 
I'm a business. So if I call my doctor tomorrow, say I, I, I break my arm and I need my doctor to fix it, my orthopedic, I'm going to call him up. And he's going to go, you know what? <laughs> I got a spot like two months from now where I can see you, right? He, he, he's not available tomorrow. Now, if I say, hey, really, doc, all I really want is just meet me at Walmart, bring the stuff with you, and just set my arm in the parking lot, if you don't mind. We'll just do it over there. You're right, you're right and that's the doctor's going to go, no, I have a system, and you're going to work within my system. And every time you go into the doctor's office, what do they do? They get your insurance card again. I'm like, you just got it last week. I want it again. I want to make sure nothing's changed. They want to know, can you pay, right? Mm-hmm. And that's our pre-qualification. Can you pay? Are you a, are you a ready, willing, and able buyer or are you wasting someone's time? And that's the difference in somebody running over and doing it or setting up a really professional. We have the largest disparity of professionalism almost in any industry that I've seen, right? You can deal with agents that are super high level of professionalism and then agents that aren't, right? We've just come out of a, a market that's created some really bad things mm-hmm. with how agents, you know, talk to each other and communicate. Had a lot, you know, and one of the things I always try to do as a listing agent is no matter how many offers I had, no matter how, what I had going on, I wanted to communicate with all the buyer's agents. These guys, all these people made an offer, and they didn't get accepted. You know, the buyers are sitting there on pins and needles waiting for their offer, you know, and, and then the buyer sees it go status change in a, a, a web portal that the agent hadn't even contacted them yet. So then the buyer feels like their agent's not doing a good job. But Which it's really false. the listing agent didn't, yeah. didn't communicate. And it became, it became hard, too. Like, I've seen it, you know, from both perspectives. You know, one of the things you'll see on social media right now is a bunch of people are giving flack to listing agents who's like, oh, now they'll answer their phone. Now they'll do this. Now they'll do that. And one of the things that I try to explain to any agent is, first of all, never assume what somebody else is or isn't doing. Because the other part about this is in that previous market, if you put a listing up, especially in a certain price point, I, I no lie had 500 phone calls. Yep. On one listing. Yep. That is three to four days of work. Oh, 100%. Yeah. If I only focused on returning those calls. Yeah. It's an impossibility. Yeah. But yet, any person that I didn't return a call to was mad and claiming yeah. I didn't do my job. Right. Okay? Yeah. So, it's this assumption thing. The other thing that I think is a huge uh, misclassification from a lot of people is we always have this tendency to assume there's something nefarious going on. Right. In a situation, which Human is very nature. unprofessional as well. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I talked about, and you give your input on this as well, is if I can think of one example of how you could get to that solution that was legitimate and legal, yeah. I assume that. Yeah. I don't care if there's 999 examples of how you could do it immorally or unethically or anything like that. I'm going to, as a professional, give you the benefit of the doubt, knowing that if you were to do something unethical, you're risking your license and your livelihood. But yet it seems like as an industry, we have a tendency to only look at all the negatives and never look at the potential for positives. One of the big examples was coming soon's going under contract. Yeah. They always assume, oh, they're doing something wrong. No, if, if actually if they're working their job properly, they should have been doing exactly what their client wanted. And if the client wanted that offer, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It matters that they did what their legal and contractual obligation yeah. was. But signing intent, right? People, because I think people have to build a story in their head mm-hmm. and the story has to make sense to them. 
Yeah, and that's, that's why a great they, way to put it, they assign intent uh-huh. to you because then I can justify why I feel the way I do about you, right? And but that and, always into a negative intent. Oh, it's oh like, always. I'll assign <laughs> it's intent always. too. I do get the assigning intent thing, yeah. but I try to find the positive intent yeah. versus the negative. Well, and I think when people realize this, so say I'm a buyer's agent in a really tough buyer market. Which we were in, horribly tough. What I got to understand as the buyer's agent and what I got to show the buyer is the listing agent doesn't have he doesn't owe me anything or mm-hmm. she doesn't owe me anything right the seller doesn't owe me anything that listing agent works for the seller and their they their fiduciary responsibility is to that seller not to me it's not to give me the best opportunity to get the house right it's to get the best you know the best position and opportunity for that seller to be happy and if, if that is us if we're prepared and we're awesome. we've, so for me it's my job whether the listing agent calls me back or not is to get an offer presented to I'll, I'll still call the listing agent let them know it's coming hopefully all the disclosures are online and I can do it if not if I don't get you know I have agents like what happens if the disclosure's not and I've got to get the offer contingent, in? contingent on reviewing it mm-hmm. just put it in there why right? delay the offer why delay representation to your client over a document that you can fulfill and the then I can say but it's your fault but it doesn't matter it's all, it's uh-huh. you know I have a thing it's it's always my fault Extreme ownership. Anything that happens to me is always... Because, Which I know you've read that book yeah. because <laughs> we both do that, but extreme ownership. It's because if it's not my fault, I can't fix it, right? You can't control it. Yeah, 100%. So so I, I think... It, and if, you set that up, I'm assuming, in your buyer's meeting. Well, the, yeah. That expectation. Because We'll talk ask? about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that. It's funny. We will bring that up when somebody's going to go use a listing agent to buy a house. So I'll just go to the listing agent. We have no problem at that point going, well, you're going there without representation. It's their job to represent the, the seller. They're not there to represent you. Yeah, we'll, we'll accept do it in that. that time. In that time, we'll explain it all the time. Yeah. But in any right. other normal circumstance, it's like we forget to explain the importance of that. Yeah. And truly, what agents should realize is they're benefiting themselves if they explain it. Yeah. Because what it does is it then gives an explanation where their expectation, what you talked about earlier, may have been my agent's not doing a good job. Now their expectation is my agent did everything they possibly can. That's right. Unfortunately, the seller doesn't, the seller's agent's doing everything they can for the seller. Yeah. Yeah. I can ask every question. I can position, you know, what's the big question? Hey, what should we offer? Well, it depends. Depends on the market. It depends on the competition. It depends on do they have other offers. It depends on the motivation of the seller. It depend, I mean, man, it depends on a lot of things. There's no real right answer, right? Now, you can ask certain questions of the seller and agent, of the listing agent, and, and then I can start to draw down where I think we should position. And then, ultimately, it comes, what's your cap? Where's, where's the buyer's comfortability? You know, where's their comfortability? And, and I guess my standard has always been, hey, all I want to know is if we submit this offer and we don't get it, is that the most you would have given? Now, if you come back to me and go, man, I would have, Chris, I'd have given five grand more. That's where we should be because we don't know. And if you really want the house, you got to be comfortable with where you're at, but don't, don't leave anything on the table with the chance that you're going to lose out if it's that important to you. So it all depends on a lot of things. I think that most people want a cut and dried answer. They just want you to tell them the answer. What's that number? And it's like, there's not really a number. It's all positional. It's all, it, it depends on a lot of factors. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, well, this it's is important. funny. So ha- we've never talked about this specific topic uh, before. We've had a lot of conversations, never this topic. So here's what I tell clients and, and for everybody listening, this is what you'll see with any level of professional agent. We have very similar answers. 
we use our own vernacular, our own cadence, our own everything, but our answer is the same. My, my response to a client is in that case is you need to offer. I said, is this house a 10 out of 10? Is this the dream house? Yes. Okay, then you need to offer to where if you don't get accepted, you have to be okay with it because you couldn't go one penny higher. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah, you're fine walking away. Because you literally could not afford. But I said the same thing to you. If you can wake up tomorrow and go, you know what? I should have given them even another 500 bucks. Well, then you messed up. Now, if this isn't 10 out of 10, if it's 7 out of 10, like you said, there's no a variance. No foul, yeah. yeah, no harm, no foul. You know, offer them what they're asking. If you don't get it, eh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the perfect house, but it would have worked. Fine. There's no problem with that. Yeah. But if it's a 10 out of 10, and, and I do teach agents too, you should almost never give, in my opinion, an, a, a, an opinion of offer value. And the reason is, is because when they don't get it, whose fault is it? Yours. You yeah. told me to offer this. Yeah. And so you'll almost never hear me say, you should offer X. I don't even say you should, I don't even express you should offer asking price or over or any, I say the exact same thing I said every time. You offer to the point where if you don't get it at that price, you're okay. This episode with Christopher Wilson and Chris Garrett has been broken into two parts. Return next time for part two of this conversation. Thank you for listening to Tenants in Common. Find out more about the association and upcoming events at www.mtar.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MidTN Realtors. Duplication or publication of this podcast is strictly prohibited without the written consent of the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors. Until next time.